Now that's what I'm talking about. That was amazing. I mean, you, I, I can't, take it up. I'm buying you a pizza. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes. Dude. His dudeness. Duder. El Duderino. Dude. Dude. Dedicated to a single objective. The conquest of the universe. It's Dazzle Amazing. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. There's a devil waiting outside your door. There's a devil waiting outside your door. And he's bucking and braying and pawing at the floor. And he's howling with pain, crawling up the wall. There's a devil waiting outside your door. And now, Annie's week here's the deals. All right, welcome to episode 124 of the Legion of Dudes podcast. Uh, this is Jordan. I'm joined tonight by Jim, Russ, John, and we have a special guest tonight from Media Junkyard Podcast, which you can find at mediajunkyard.com. Welcome to the show, Robin. Hey, how you guys doing? Great, man. Good. Happy Glad New Year, everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, happy New Year. Robin, uh, for those of our listeners who don't know Media Junkyard, can you just tell us a few things about the show and why they might be interested in checking it out? It's a mismatch of uh, news about TV and movies and any, any, pretty much anything we want to talk about. Um, it's not exactly the most current, but I think people turn, tune in to hear us kind of riffing on this thing or that, you know? And to hear you guys yell at each other for the most part. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> My sister told me the other night we were listening to Media Junkyard in the car. She goes, you know, of all the podcasts you listen to, of other than your own, of course, this is like the only one I like. So, uh, <laughs> Oh, that's great. I can't oh, give you much more, more praise than telling you that my sister <laughs> likes your show. But uh, I love it, too, and we're happy to have you on the show tonight. Hey, no problem. So episode 124 is sponsored by Forum for Geeks. Uh, you can check out Forum for Geeks at forumforgeeks.com if you're interested in comics, movies, television, music, or pretty much anything else geeky, including sports, books, and everything else. Check out forumforgeeks.com. Join up. Join the conversation. Our Forum for Geeks podcast of the month is... The Rock Dungeon. The Rock Dungeon is a music podcast, basically two forty-somethings talking about and playing clips of music they love. The music can range from blues, classic rock, punk rock, hard rock, prog rock, which is one of my favorites, metal, another one of my favorites, and anything and everything in between, new and old. The two hosts have a combined collection of over 6,000 CDs, and we are always on the search for more music that we can love and call George. Pull up a bench, manacles are optional, and give it a try. What's a CD they, that they speak of? Uh, that is that yeah. is a certificate of a deposit. You get that at a bank. <laughs> oh, yes. And, uh, I'm guessing they don't talk about Fraggle Rock. <laughs> they might. That would be an awesome podcast. <laughs> I know there's at least there's a pop punk cover of the Fraggle Rock theme song. You never know. They might have played it at some point. If you would like to sponsor a show, head over to hhwlod.com. Check out the donate button, and you can sponsor a show yourself. We'd also appreciate, while you're at it, give us an iTunes rating. Head over to iTunes. It'll take you five seconds. Rate us five stars or whatever you deem appropriate. We would appreciate five. And uh, leave a few words saying why you like the show. And I believe Russ had something he wanted to talk about. I am going to tease the audience, but the guys and I have been hard at work at a complete revamp of the website. So this is going to be like website, 
I think we called the last one 2.0. So this is definitely going to be 3.0. It is a very dramatic departure from the site in the past. I think it's, I, I dare say, probably one of the best podcast websites out there. And we've, we're really proud of it. Um, so more to come on that, but, but, um, but just stay on the lookout for the site. We'll, we'll definitely let everybody know when it actually goes live, but uh, within the next week or so, um, by the time you hear this, it'll definitely be up. So, so definitely keep, keep the refresh button active on hhwlod.com for, um, for cool stuff. Yeah. And that should be tied with other great, uh, and new announcements as well. Yes. All right, so tonight's show, we're going to be talking about Lock and Key, Volume 1, Welcome to Lovecraft. Uh, volume 1 is six issues written by Joe Hill, illustrated by Gabriel Rodriguez. Joe Hill is actually the son of Stephen King, so you should be familiar with that pedigree, of course. And this is his, I believe, first foray into comics. It's certainly the first one I was familiar with, and it's a great story about, well, we're going to tell you in just a moment. Well, actually, Joe Hill is taken from a Bob Dylan song. I dreamt I saw Joe Hill last night. Is it really? Uh, so that, oh, that's nice. where he got his sit on them. That's very cool. I did not know that. And that's the show for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they keep me around, man. That <laughs> yeah. and for the dulcet tones and the free food. So if you open your tomes of Lock and Key Volume 1 to page 1, we're going to start with issue 1 of Welcome to Lovecraft. We start in Mencino Valley in California. Uh, two men approach a door of a small cottage. A woman answers, and uh, she recognizes them as students of her husband. And you can already tell things are going poorly when they have knives and guns hidden behind their back. They say they jacked a truck from uh, his uncle, from one of the men's uncle. But you can see in another panel that there's two dead bodies in the back of the truck. Something uh, that I noticed thematically through this entire book, and we see it from the very first page on, are the use of doors mirrors, uh, ponds of water uh, to show the reflection sometimes of, of the character themselves or just, you know, I mean, as much as the doors and the keys and everything fit into the main plot points and into uh, key house and everything else. It's a thematic thing that we keep seeing over and over in the book. And as we go through, we'll definitely see that kind of thing again. Doors and windows. Uh, there's a good flashback scene coming up where the whole thing takes place on the opposite side of a door jam. So it just seems to be a recurring theme that uh, that Hill uses through the entire story. Yeah, and, and the cool thing is, uh, I totally agree, Jim. And in rereading, the cool thing about the book is you can try and find things that you may have missed. Like my eyes went right away to the rearview mirror of the truck, you know, and, and there's nothing there in this case, but. But it's that kind of thing that you kind of train yourself to look for when, you, uh, when you've when you gone on reading this book for a while. Well, I can say definitely I just reread the series right before we started recording, or the first six, I should say. And uh, there was one major, major plot point that I don't think you – it's revealed until the end of volume three that is teased in issue four or five that I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it was right there in front of us the entire time. And uh, – yeah, all kinds of hidden stuff. It's great for rereading. But yeah, as you pointed out, Jim, reflections are big, mirrors are big, and identity, you know, but in that reflection is also a major thing, which we see here as we're introduced to the first of the three Locke children, Tyler Locke, and he's looking into a pond and projecting onto his reflection different versions of himself that he would like to be. The surfer guy, the um Another guy who he wouldn't really like to be, but he'd like to hang out with one of his cousins who's kind of a, a punk rocker, and he wants to be that guy as well or would like to at least be anywhere but where he is. Uh, we're then introduced to the next of the Locke siblings, Bodie, and Bodie has been crapped on in his hand by a uh, a turtle apparently. And then we're introduced to their sister, Kinsey. Kinsey has dreadlocks, and that's pretty much her defining feature in this first few panels. 
but the children don't really want to be there. They're painting the cottage with their father and their mother, and they don't like that too much. Sure, it's Bodie. I thought it was Bode. I was assuming Bodie, like Bodie Miller or something like that. Does anybody or else Von, know? Or Von Bodie. I mean, that's the way he pronounces his name, too. I, I assumed it was Bodie as well. I, I think there's a part later on, Robin, um, with the echo. I don't want to give the name away yet, but with the echo where something rhymes with Bodie. Ah. I okay. think. But, yeah, I've always assumed. So it's either Bode or Bodie. B-O-D-E, though, for our listeners. One quick thing about the art, because you mentioned defining characteristics and stuff. The faces tend to look very similar to me, mm-hmm. and the I appreciate like the Oakland A's hat, or <laughs> you know the, the just little things like if you're trying to. It's very cool when they're showing younger versions of a character, and it helps you figure out who's who. But in general, right. the faces are very similar. Well, and part of that is you have three siblings, their father who looks just like the two boys. And then his brother later on in the series. Right, like a skinnier they, version, yeah. They, they all share very specific characteristics. So you're right, there is – you're not quite in Scott Pilgrim territory where even I, after reading the entire thing multiple times, it's like, uh, I think this character is Scott on this page, but I'm not 100% sure. It is nice to have those, the Oakland A's hat, uh, the fact that Bodie is half the size of the others, uh, that kind of thing. I'd make the comparison to like even uh, Frank Quitely. You know what I mean? Where where the faces look similar, but I mean, obviously they're different people. One of the things that that captured me about the art right off the bat is maybe calling this book a horror book, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, there are definitely horror elements or grittier elements to the to the book, as as we'll see. But the fact that the coloring on this book is very vibrant, it's very bright. It's it's not like. You know, even like 30 Days a Night or some other books where they're done in, in almost like a frenetic style where everything's very dark and shaded and, and everything. So it's, it's kind of an interesting contrast to tell a, a dark story and use, you know, such a, such a bright palette. I don't, I don't want to derail because I know we have a lot to cover, but I just wanted to ask quickly. Russ, was this your first read through for, for the show? Yes. Oh, okay, cool. Good. So we'll, yes. we'll have questions for you later. And have you read through anything that comes after this first six issues? No. Uh-uh. Okay, so I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum then. <laughs> yeah, neither have I. I've only read the first uh, six issues. Uh, okay, I, I think after rereading it that I can definitely get through without spoiling anything major to come. Um, but there are definitely things that are foreshadowed in these first six issues that play huge roles in the upcoming volumes. Hmm. So as the three kids are in the back talking about how much at least Tyler does not want to be there, We then flash back to the inside of the house. The two men, uh, Sam and Al, have broken in, and Mr. Locke, who's been painting the outside of the building, happens upon them, and uh, he's confronted with the axe and with the gun. And then we jump forward in time to San Francisco. It's labeled as now, and Tyler is standing in front of a urn at a funeral parlor. Uh, At this point, we don't know who's in it or why, but we can pretty much guess as as to the why. Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious from the panel before something bad is going to happen to yeah. his dad. So, I mean, I mean, I put two and two together. His dad were possibly his mom as well. I mean, at this point, it's kind of unclear. Well, this is where I really started noticing the doors, the mirrors, and the windows. I mean, we see the door framing Tyler here in this uh, splash page. In the next five-panel sequence, the entire, um, I mean, the composition of the frame is, is a, a door on one side, a painting on the other, and a window in the middle. You know, again, like I was like we were saying before, it just seems to be a recurring visual theme. 
so as Tyler stands in front of the urn, we then move on and we see him sitting on a bench as life kind of moves on around him. You've got the people at the funeral. You've got his cousins, the two uh, the two that he kind of talked about what he'd rather be with, come and talk to him. And neither of them seem like people that he should really be hanging around with or that fit in with him. Then we're introduced to his uncle who kind of sits down and starts to talk through it with him. We have our first flashback aside from the opening. And this is where you're talking about, I think it was John, you brought up the hat, right? Yep. Uh, we've got a young Tyler. We can tell because he's wearing the the A's hat, which has a, a fishing lure on the on the brim, and he's remembering back to his father and mother drunk one night when he was a kid, talking about how his father says if anything ever happens to him or to her that uh, the family should go and move to the family house of Key House, which is in Lovecraft, Massachusetts. Those first two panels there where you transition from current to flashback. Uh-huh. At first, it's very easy to say, oh, okay, they made it slightly duller in color to show <laughs> you that it's a flashback. And then when you keep looking, there's no umbrella in the umbrella holder. The furniture's moved around in the room on the right. The picture's not on the wall anymore in the bedroom. Right. So there's all of these changes that were made very subtly to just show that this is a different time. You know, things have been moved in the house. Things have changed. It's like simple stuff that everybody should notice, but I didn't the first time. And then again, when you reread and pay attention to the details, it's very cool stuff. I, I also liked, you know, a couple, like a page back uh, about, you know, like he was just talking about how he'd rather be anywhere but there. And he wanted to be with these two different people. Like they weren't the greatest people, but he wanted to be with them. And you see that both of them are complete idiots <laughs> like no compassion at all for them or nothing can't really say much to them right yeah, they just want to talk about themselves yeah it's like, i don't even think i picked up that they were the two people that he was talking about earlier so there's yeah. another cool thing i like how the artist he uses this a lot is the repetitive panel um yes. i've noticed this a lot like it reminds me of ultimate spider-man like bendis seems to use that technique a lot especially in powers like if you've read powers they do that a lot and I think it's a fine line between artist laziness and effect. And here I, I definitely get the effect thing because it, it definitely shows the passage of time and the monotony, you know, where the kid is just trying to, to, to be by himself and to just try and reflect and all these people come up and you can see how the passage of time is taking place. So, um, again, it's just another one of those conventions that I, I noticed throughout the six issues. But I thought it was really, really well done. And in the flashback, uh, as Tyler's remembering, his father says, you know, if they go to Key House, they'll be safe. And his mother asked, safe from what? And he says, I don't know. Uh, whatever. Killer bees, the forces of darkness, reality TV. Once again, foreshadowing that not everything is as it seems. Yeah. And uh, she says, if it's so so safe, why aren't we there now? And he says, it didn't choose me. It chose Duncan, who's his brother. He'll be a, a character in the series. Tyler finally kind of comes back to reality and back to the present, and he collapses in his Uncle Duncan's arms, and he says he just wants to get out of this place. We then flash back again back to the day of the murder. Uh, the kids are coming back to the house from the pond when they hear a gunshot. They look in the window and see Sam, who's the guy with the gun, standing covered in blood above a body. We can't tell exactly who it is, but uh, it's definitely a masculine hand. And uh, they accidentally make some noise and alert the killers that they are outside. I like this pull-away here in this three-panel sequence real quick where you see Tyler seeing the guy with the gun through the window and then a pull-away, and he's still there, and then the pull-away, and he's still there. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's pretty effective. And again, you know, use of windows and doors. So Sam, the guy with the gun, Sam's last name, does anybody remember off the top of their head? 
Kester? Lesser. Lesser, Sa- right, right. Sam Lesser. Sam I want Lesser. To say, I want to say Sam Kennison, and I knew that wasn't right. Um, <laughs> so he's following Tyler's trail. Kinsey and Bodie have hidden on the roof behind the chimney. And uh, he follows the trail of Tyler from paint left uh, in footprints. He follows it down into the basement. And we come back to the present where they are traveling cross-country over a long series of days by car to Lovecraft, Massachusetts from California. Yeah, i got to say, um, that, that panel of uh, Kinsey and Bodie um, hiding on the roof is so striking. It's so terrifying. And it's going to come back uh, yeah. several times during the series, too. Mm-hmm. So they get to the key house, and this is the first time we see that Mrs. Locke is still alive. So it is just their father who was murdered. She gets out of the car with everybody else, and they go to investigate the house. Back in the past, Sam Lesser is following Ty into the basement, and Ty surprises him and hits him over the head with a brick, and he beats him bloody and unconscious on the ground. Tyler then comes back up through the basement to find Al, the other guy who had the axe, and he pulls Sam's gun on him, but there are no bullets left. And at this point, Mrs. Locke comes out of nowhere with the axe and slams Al in the back of the head in a gruesomely bloody scene. Yeah, that was a great uh, – that was a hell of a page turner. It gave you yeah, that uh, – yeah. it was very Kirkman-like for me, you know, like a, yes. a walking dead or invincible kind of reveal. And you get the – now, where did I leave my hatchet? <laughs> yeah, uh, in the back of your head. <laughs> or even like um, like Kick-Ass most recently, John, you know, where – especially that one panel where, you know, the gunshot from the back of the head and you could see – because even like his eyes in this panel are bugging out or at least that's what it seems to me. And, of course, the blood coming out of his mouth. Yeah, just very ultra-violent. Tyler then flashes back to that day. He then flashes to the, to the day at the funeral parlor and then to the present at Key House. And it's interesting. It's he's in the same place but dressed differently in each panel. His father in the first panel is dead. You see his body. In the second, you see his picture on top of the casket. And on the third, you see water. And while that hasn't proven important in the series so far that I can think of, although water has played importance, I wonder if they're trying to tell us something about his father and the relationship to the water in some way. Uh, it's just a guess, though. Yeah, I mean, that, that definitely makes sense. Plus, it's a, it's a neat transition. Um, you know, not, not, again, we, I know we don't want to get too derailed, but usually in the beginning we, we derail and then things kind of <laughs> smooth out. But um, knowing that this is going to be... A television series, or at least it's been optioned for a TV series at this point. Again, we see these. It's almost like a cinematic transition here, you know, where where you could see if this was on film, you could see you know one panel flowing into the next, into the next. So I, th- I think that's that's pretty cool. Oh, definitely. And even like we were talking about before, the repeating panels mm-hmm. or the pullouts over time, and how I mean, I can just see you can see it in motion already on the page. Uh, what a great building block they have to start doing the show. So uh, Tyler is looking into the water, and once again he sees his reflection, but this time in seeing, instead of seeing who he wants to be or where he wants to be, he sees the reflection of himself covered in blood and holding the brick and the gun. Uh, we then go back inside and see Bodie, who is climbing on a stack of books to try and get to a sword mounted on the wall, as a five- or six-year-old would do. He, he falls down, knocks down the swords and the books, and then he's climbing on another precarious uh, position to search out what's on top of a bookcase where he finds a black key with a skull on it and a matching lock on a door. So when he, when you have the close-up of him touching the sword, that's mm-hmm. the key gleaming in the top of the doorway behind him, right? Yeah, he kind of can just see it. Okay. So I because guess it is on top of a doorway. At first I was like, that. it's almost like he knows it's there, you know, because he's climbing up the, uh, 
he's specifically going for it at that point. But I think I missed the little gleaming spot the first time. Yeah, I definitely missed it. That's a good catch. I caught it on the on the the panel on the right. But yeah, just, just until you said something now, John, it, I did I didn't notice it. But yeah, it looks like his eye is kind of wandering that way. So then we cut over to a juvenile detention center where Sam Lesser is in solitary confinement in his cell. And he's hearing a voice from the water in his sink. Uh, there's a face. It's kind of an androgynous but mostly female-looking face with a crown of uh, ivy on its head. And it's talking to Sam and saying – he says, you know, you, you told me I was going to get a new face and a new home. And the, the voice says you have both. And Sam is covered in, in scars in his reconstructed face since he was beat uh, with the brick by Tyler. Yeah, I love – the character's so creepy and nasty, but I love the way they've built this mystery around him. I mean he just kind of shows up in the beginning, and he's a psycho, and he kills. And, you know, you're kind of wondering what his deal is. And now he's in prison saying, you know, talking to the sink, and you promised me. So, you know, you know there's a backstory here. And the book is like, like a trash can, like, man. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very much like a, a Stephen King psycho, like Trash Can Man or the um, – the killer from the dead zone, you know, so slick, you know, he used to think himself. But um, it's interesting because if you check out these issues, the first issue is kind of Tyler-centric. The second issue is is kind of Bodie-centric. And the third issue is kind of Kinsey-centric. And then the fourth issue, we get Sam's backstory. We find, you know, his mother and everything else as well. I don't want to get too far ahead on the plot, but um, we all we get like a little bit of each character building in each issue. And it's yeah. definitely cool that they make the villain completely three-dimensional. I mean, as you said, he started, he starts out like a psycho, but then you find out there's so much more to him in issue four. Right. So while still he's a psycho. He's still, definitely, <laughs> definitely still a psycho. Let's not take that away from him. He he's a three-dimensional <laughs> psycho. <laughs> yeah, almost like a Renfield type of character, you know, from Dracula. So while he's talking to his sink, Bodhi opens the door with the skull key, walks through the doorway, and falls down dead. And his ghost exits his body and comes out the other side of the door. And he's understandably freaking out. So he flies back to his body and comes back to life. And the door shuts, and that is how we end issue number one. What a great ending to the issue. I mean, that, right? I mean, I was pretty much drawn in the entire first issue, checking this out for the first time. And then when that ending happened, I was like, wow, what? <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah. And this end panel is almost a dead ringer for the first panel, so it's kind of symmetrical in that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, it's very interesting that they show him like he's dead. You know, it's one thing to just, you know, show like his spirit leaving his body and, and leaving, leaving the body behind. But he's like physically dead. I mean, he turns pale and, um, and everything. So I thought that was really kind of an interesting yeah. twist. Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted to bring up, uh, and I'm not smart enough to understand what this means, but it's just something that I noticed. Earlier in the story, he's trying to catch a butterfly. He's like whacking at it with a stick and falling over himself. And then here in the last panels, the butterfly just kind of like lands on his cheek and it's there. That's uh, true. And, and you know what's interesting about that? I didn't think about this, but the butterfly he was trying to catch, that was in California. This butterfly is in Massachusetts. Yeah, and again, like I don't. Yeah, interesting. I don't know. The but. monarch, <laughs> the mighty monarch. Yeah, for all we know, this butterfly could be the key to everything, and it's like the uh, supreme <laughs> mystical being. Only time will tell. Issue two starts off with "What I Did This Summer" by Bodie Locke, and it's a crudely animated five-panel comic book. 
illustrated and written by Bodie, in which he recounts his father being murdered, their family moving to Key House, and that he found this awesome key that lets him open a door, walk through, die, and turn into a ghost. And he's looking for his father. That is the best previously on Lock and Key page I've ever seen in comics. Previously on Lost. And the the gotcha, bam. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Your father's murder from a little little kid's point of view, you know. It's, Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the comic has a post-it note attached to it with tape, which is interesting because post-it notes have their own sticky. But anyway, uh, a note from his teacher saying, uh, Mrs. Locke, we need to talk about this because it's uh, kind of creepy. So Mrs. Locke, and can anyone remember her name? I'm doing terrible with the names today. I mean, she's mostly called Mrs. Locke throughout the series or throughout yeah, the first. Duncan, Duncan calls her by name later. And I can't remember – I want to say Sandra, but I, I don't think that's right. Anyway, she's – Duncan is there with her, as you pointed out, and he gives her the first of many, many, many glasses of wine she will drink throughout the series. Um, <laughs> she did not come out of the assault on Scathe. She – something was done to her leg, and she has to walk with a cane now. But uh, her, her scarring is much more emotional than it is physical. One, one of the interesting things – and I forgot to point this out when we saw it in the, in the previous issue, but the axe before it got stuck in the – guy's head had they showed um the other criminal in the in the bathroom or whatever and there was blood around and blood on the axe so and then when when she took a whack at the guy we could see on her side she had cuts so it it sounds like somebody or it sounds like he kind of went to town on her with the axe a little bit and that that could you know be why she has some of the yeah, he's also in that, panel, in that panel where he comes out of the room. He's zipping up his pants. And we know from earlier in the story, even though I didn't bring it up, that he was attracted to her and thought she was um, flirting with him at different points. So mm-hmm. it's hinted that there was some form of sexual assault, but we never actually see it. And it's never said for sure that I'm aware of. Right. And her name is Nina, by the way. Nina. OK, thank you, Robin. Yeah. So uh, they're, just, they're just discussing everything that's gone down. And she shows him the comic book that Bodie did. They're, they're talking about how crazy it is and how that could never happen, although Duncan does remember playing games about turning into ghosts when he was a kid with his brother at that very house, but mm-hmm. not much more than that. And at that point, we switch to an overhead perspective and a great shot where the ghost of Bodie is looking down at them talking about how he could never possibly be there as a ghost. I love that shot. I love that, that page. The, the perspective is just great because not only do you have that overhead shot – but he's coming out in an angle, and not only is he coming out of the wall at an angle, but his body is oriented at a different angle than looking straight down. There's so mm-hmm. much just uh, – I don't want to say juxtaposition, but there's just so many angles in it that don't match each other normally. It's very, very interesting looking. Bodie is once again a ghost, and he's traveling through and recounting his version of the story. He remembers being at the funeral parlor for his dad's funeral. He's uh, talking about how the ghost form works and how if anyone thinks about him, he goes to them. But if he thinks about them, he can also travel to where they are. Uh, He sees his brother in the shower and (laughs) freezes the water. That was Uh, awesome. Yeah. We see that same panel, Robin, you brought up before of uh, Kinsey holding him on the roof. And we also see the same image mirrored as she holds a pillow in her room. Uh, He's visiting her and you can see that she is biting her lips so hard it's bleeding even in – just remembering the events of that day. Right, yeah. It's just like just like Tyler's traumatized by, you know, seeing the reflection of himself holding the brick with the blood coming off of it. She's she's just as traumatized thinking about like what could have happened. Definitely. And her fear and her uh her grief are major, major elements of the second volume, but they don't play too much of a role here, but they're definitely important and it's cool to see they're setting it up this early. 
the dreadlocks are gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's growing up, or this experience has made her grow up faster. Maybe I don't know. That's how I took it. She, well, they kind of she, uh, talk about it. They say that she doesn't want to stand out anymore. Oh, okay. She just kind of fade into the background. Good. I'm yeah. Next issue. Next issue. That happens. Next issue. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. You're not, it's fine. And he also said, "What is the exact word?" And he says about her hair. Kinsey used to have rock star hair, but when we moved to Lovecraft, she changed. Now she doesn't look like herself at all. The uh, the urn is very red. It's like that in issue one also when you can kind of see it in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always like that very striking red. And it's the only color in those scenes that is striking at all. Right. Everything else is just kind of shades of gray. Uh, so Bodie tries to tell Tyler about turning into a ghost and he wants him to help him out, but Tyler will have nothing of it. So he goes down to the lake behind the house, and he's using his treasure finder, which is a a fishing rod with a magnet on the end, to search for treasure. And he talks to his mother, and she says, look, you can't be doing comics about turning into a ghost because it's freaking your teacher out, and I really can't deal with that right now. And Bodie fishes a soda can out of the river, and then he hears some whistling. Or he, I I take that back. He whistles, and then he hears an echo of the whistle coming from the well house. And he walks back, and he says, hello, hello, anybody? And this, this is that point, Robin, I was talking about. You hear, low, Bodhi. So I'm thinking that Bodhi rhymes with anybody. Huh. But that was just my interpretation. I could be completely wrong. And the, the image is very reminiscent of the ring, of course, with that stone well. But mm-hmm. it's uh, inset in the middle of, of a floor. And he called never good. Yeah, well, the, nothing good comes <laughs> out of wells, even water. In the long run, <laughs> in the long run you're screwed. Um, <laughs> So he, he calls down, he says, are you my Echo? And the voice replies back, yes, I am. And he runs away. And he tries to get uh, his brother and sister to come with him. They come back. All they hear is a normal Echo. And they think, uh, they think he's making it up. Well, and I like, too, how he's small enough where he could actually fit through the bars of the window. But the uh-huh. door is locked and they don't have the key. So they can't get in, you know. I just uh-huh. love how precocious he is. And I guess that's, a, it may, you know, maybe slightly cliched. But, um you know the the kid that's they're not they're not portraying him as like smarter than everybody, um, which is I think I think more cliche than anything nowadays where we have this you know six or seven year old kid that you know talks like an adult and acts like an adult. He is very much a child, um, and I, I like that. Just very precocious, very much getting into trouble. Um, He's not Val I, Richards, I, anyway, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, and and I think Hill's done a really good job of getting his voice. I mean, he sounds like a kid and sounds so much different in the way he, you know, his, when, when we get his inner monologue and stuff, it actually sounds different than the others. So the, I, I, the sense of voice in the series is fantastic. It, it is. It's very, mm-hmm. very good. Uh, well, as we go for, well, not in this particular volume, but in the, is it the first issue of volume four where it's the Calvin and Hobbes issue? Where you really see that Bodie kind of is Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, at least in his own head. And, um, you know, so I, I think that's certainly an interesting way, though, to, to frame it, though, that he can kind of see – he can see the magic where other people can't necessarily. And, and that will play a role in the series as we go on that adults simply can't see the magic in many cases. But uh, it, it's kind of foreshadowed here. So uh, they walk away and we then see a dream of Bodhi's where he is visited by his father who brings up a knock-knock joke. There's a wolf scratching at a door. And uh, when we finally see his father's face, there's a bullet hole right through his right eye. It's very creepy and Bodhi wakes up. Very T-1000. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How it's kind of like blown out in that cool yeah. way. <laughs> and the door that the wolf is scratching is door number 11. 
Yeah, which did anybody know what that stood for? I couldn't think of anything off the top of my head when I was rereading it today. No. Okay. No I'm hoping it pops up somewhere down the it road. It probably or... has, right, but sure. I'm sure when we get around to doing volume two, we'll be like, oh, there's there's door number 11. Bodhi uses the ghost door again, and he goes to the well house, and he goes right down the well where he finds a woman in a, in a kind of medieval-looking dress. And this is the same exact face that showed up in Sam Lesser's sink earlier. Uh, she can't see him, but she can feel him. She can feel the cold of the ghost, and uh, she, she talks to him. She realizes it's Bodhi because she had overheard him talking to his mother about turning into a ghost, but uh, she, she's just kind of talking to that feeling at the moment. Did it almost seem to you like she kind of resembled Neil Gaiman's death character a little bit? Yeah, I definitely, definitely could see that. Also, it's kind of weird with this, with this darker color palette that we have in this uh, next few pages or whatever, like with the dream sequence and then him in the well. They are kind of reminds me more of like a Gabriel Ba. Yeah, like, a little bit. Uh, you know, the uh, Umbrella Academy. But yeah, she does look like death. She also looks a little bit like their mother, which I've always found kind of creepy. Yeah. So she convinces Bodhi to come back when he's not a ghost. She says she's not going to hurt him. She just wants to talk. And we see Bodhi come back immediately in uh, on one day and then the very next panel he's wearing different clothes and it's raining so he apparently comes back multiple times and he's got a bag with him and an apple uh she tells him that she was his father's echo as well and uh, after they talk for a few minutes he says oh i brought you the things you wanted and he drops the bag down and in the bag is a mirror and a pair of scissors and in the reflection as we brought reflections of the mirror we see pretty much the red skull instead of the face of the woman in the well yeah. And uh, it's like the Red Skull with hair, which is creepy. <laughs> with, with hamburger helpers smeared all over him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The in, in a way. Uh, and then to finish out the issue, we go back to the juvenile detention center where Sam Lesser has tattooed himself multiple times, including a wolf on his forearm. And it looks to be like a wolf with, um, I'll say, an earwigs pincers on the end of it. That's kind of my best way. Yeah, of, some uh, kind of it's it's a wolf head and then maybe an insect body or or something. Yeah, something like that. But the, as we saw earlier, wolf and wolves will play a big role later on in the series. Just not these first six issues. If you look really closely at his arm in the reflection of the sink, there's a number eleven in that tribal tattoo. Oh yeah, look at that and a keyhole. And a keyhole, yeah. Well, good catch because I noticed the other one that looks like uh, looks like the wellhouse window with eyes coming out. Right, of it, yeah. The I one on his chest that. is eyes looking through a dark window, and then the tribal thing in front of the wolf's head has the number eleven in the keyhole. Good catch. And of course, the juvenile detention home is called San Lobo. Oh, oh yeah. sweet <laughs> man! I missed that totally. Uh, but he he hears the voice of the woman in the well, and she says she has the things she promised. And in his sink are the very mirror and scissors that Bodhi just gave her in the well. And that ends issue number two. So issue number three starts with Kinsey's perspective. And she's flashing back to, once again, that image of her and Bodhi on the roof as she goes off to school. And we see her in multiple outfits, multiple days. Time is passing. She talks about her fear. She talks about, I think what you're talking about before, Robin, how she didn't want to stand out. She wanted to start over and not be the victim. We then head back to San Lobo, the juvenile detention center, where Sam is looking into the mirror and he's seeing a guard in an IT tech. I guess IT tech is redundant. He sees the guard and a uh, IT guy coming towards his cell. And when they get close enough, he stabs the guard 
in the eye and the neck with the two pieces of the scissors in another very bloody splash page. Talk about a splash page. Oh, you're not kidding. <laughs> Blood splashing all over the place. He grabs the gun from the guard and he grabs the, the swipe card and he swipes the door to let himself out and shoots, uh, chases down the IT guy and shoots him. And we use that bang of the gun as a transition to a starter pistol or a mimed starter pistol at least at the, uh, the track at the Lock Children's School. And at this point, I was going, is this the uncle or was is this Sam in a flashback or what's going on? <laughs> oh, it just... looks a lot like them. <laughs> and a little bit, yeah. And and because, uh, not to get too far ahead of myself, but seeing as we do know that this character of the gym teacher does have a relationship right. in the past with the family, I do wonder if there is any blood there or what, but we'll, we'll, we'll see in the future. I don't even think it's been fully explained in the comics to the point that they have been released. But Kinsey is apparently was always a very good track runner in her old school, and that's the one thing she's decided to hold on to. So she narrowly, narrowly uh, loses to Jackie, who's a student at the new school, and they quickly strike up a bit of a friendship. But when Jackie offers, let's go running on Saturday, Kinsey decides, I, I, I can't do that right now because she does not want to talk about her past with anyone. Interesting, though, that. Kinsey didn't really exert herself as much as Jackie did. Like that, I think that's a that's a cool distinction. She's, yeah. you know, Jackie's sweating more. She's in pain afterwards, and Kinsey's, I mean, out of breath a little bit, but definitely like she could pour more on if she really wanted to. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, again, she doesn't want to stand out. I don't think it reminds mm-hmm. me of the end of The Incredibles a little bit, where uh, where the son is running in, in the race and he's got to kind of like keep pace with everybody else on purpose and just barely win. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Not that, not that we know for sure that there's anything mystical going on in this scene, but she is faster than everybody else. She didn't have the big honking bracelet on. Maybe she would have edged it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I think she wants to hold on to that bracelet, but we'll get to yeah. that later. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, we've skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, Bodhi is drags her over to the ghost door so he can show her exactly how it works. He opens the door. He walks through. He falls down dead, and she thinks he's just faking. Uh, she starts to get creeped out, though, and all of a sudden he comes back and he says, something is wrong. Something terrible happened. He's telling mom about it now. The one whose name means born at night. So they go back to their mother at the front door, and there is a state police detective there uh, telling the, their mother that Sam Lesser has escaped from the juvenile detention center, but not to worry that they're usually picked up pretty quick, and uh, it shouldn't shouldn't be an issue. He should be in prison soon again. But we flash over to Sam Lesser and we see he's in the back of a livestock truck and he's already making his way through Wyoming. Kinsey then talks to her mother and we learn that the detective's name indeed does mean born at night. And so Bodie must have overheard that, but she doesn't quite put two and two together. She thinks it's weird, but she, she doesn't fully grasp it. We then go to her the next day at school. She says nothing's really changed, but she walks through a hallway where they're painting and because her father was killed while he was painting and they were painting, uh, she has an immediate physical reaction and pukes out the window right in front of her gym teacher. And this is that. probably like the third time they've fleshed back to her biting her lip with the blood coming out of her mouth. Oh, yeah, yeah, to show her yeah, fear. Yeah, they keep showing that panel that, you know, when uh, Bodhi looks in on her the first time and she's kind of having a breakdown in her room, they keep going back to that close-up. And I think when they go to that close-up, every time they're zoomed in just a little bit more. Again, you know, we could see the difference. She had the, you know, the two rings in her eyebrow, the ring in her ear at the top. And then we cut, when we cut back to her, you know, all that's just like we saw with the dreads, all that's gone. You know, she's dressed a lot more conservatively. Um, but I thought the, the, 
the sequence where she reacts violently or gets violently ill to the painting. I thought that was just genius. Again, just to show that there's, um, you know, what a connection, a smell or a sight can, can do to somebody. And I just, I thought that was brilliant. And how do you explain that as a kid to somebody else that, oh, I was ill because there was paint and that was how my father was killed. Like there's no way to, to breach that subject with anybody really. Her gym teacher gives, him, gives her some water to wash her mouth out, and it's at that point that the gym teacher notices her bracelet, as you brought up before. She says, pretty bracelet, and Kinsey says, my dad gave it to me. And there's a key pattern on it, and the teacher says, is that a key? She says, yes. He says it was like a mo- reminder. Believing in yourself is the key to becoming a complete person. If you've got the key, it can unlock any door and take you wherever you want to go, yada, yada. He was a super cornball, but you know, he was a dad. And uh, you can definitely see there is a pattern of a key. At this point, though, we don't know exactly what that means. Her gym teacher pulls a book off the shelf. It's the yearbook, and there's a picture of the Lovecraft senior drama team who did The Tempest that year. And in the image, we see a young Ellie Whedon, who is the gym teacher, presumably named after Josh Whedon, a young Mr. Locke, and several other characters that we've never seen before but will play roles in the series in the future, as well as one man, Lucas Carvaggio, who is... Very similar looking to The Woman in the Well. Yeah, again, this is another one where going back through it again after having read it, uh, that stood out to me like a sore thumb. I thought that was pretty cool. And it's it's definitely cool. There's a image, there's a zooming image where you see that her father is wearing that same bracelet in the image. Mm-hmm. But it's very cool that even though it's kind of a throwaway picture in this volume, I'm pretty sure that every single person in this picture has either been given a spotlight issue or shown up in a major way in the series in the future. And he's even Lucas. He's even eyeing the bracelet. If you yeah. look at where his eyes are going, and he's got those crazy yellow eyes or whatever they're greenish yellow, the way they're drawn. And it looks like you can already tell that he and Ellie Whedon had some type of relationship. She's looking up at him and and holding his arm. Kinsey talks about how uh, she went. She went home. She says she keeps looking in the mirror and not realizing it's her because of the way she changed her hair and her appearance. But she says, I'll probably spend the rest of my life looking out windows for Sam Lesser and jumping at every strange face I see, whether they catch him or not. I'm not going to jump when I see my own face. And at this point, we join her as she goes to Jackie's house and uh, says, hey, uh, it's me. So do you want to run? And she, she joins her for a Sunday or a Saturday morning run. And the eyebrow ring is back and one little braid in the hair. Yeah, it's, it's gonna... interesting how they do that in stages. Yeah. Um, because she's going to alter her appearance some more as the series goes on. But they start slow. So issue number four starts out with Bodie. Uh, he's One once the, again uh, creepiest covers. <laughs> oh yeah, we should we should mention that it's uh, what is it? What is that style? Is that that's not woodcut? Does woodcut. I, that's that's what I thought. Uh, it is woodcut. Okay. That's that's what I thought of. But it's the, uh, the interesting thing about this cover is it's actually a depiction of a painting in the story that kind of set everything in motion, as we'll find out later. I mean, with Sam. Oh, definitely. It's it's a painting of the well house in kind of not black and white, but brown and white. And uh, you can clearly see the woman in the well through the window waving at us. So when we go into the actual story, Bodie's having another nightmare about his father. He's in um, – is that a coroner's office? Is that would be the correct term, I guess? The morgue. Morgue. He's at the morgue. You can see all the, all the body drawers there in the background. And a body bag which sits up. It's trying to continue that knock-knock joke that his father was telling him earlier in a nightmare. And his father, once again, with the bullet right through his bullet, uh, right through his eye, wakes uh, wakes up out of the bag, and Bodie wakes up in tears. That must have been a hell of a gun because that is a big old hole in his head. 
Oh, it was a like it was a Colt forty five, I think. I don't know. Looks it, like it, it should a, have been a Colt ninety nine, but it's <laughs> <laughs> a big old hole. It's an eighty eight Magnum. It shoots through schools. Schools. <laughs> <laughs> and Bodie was sleeping in the dream. He was playing with two tro- uh, toy trucks, a toy truck and a toy bus, actually. And when he wakes up, he's holding them again. And we use that image of the truck to go all the way across the country, or not all the way across the country, but partway across the country to Ohio where Sam Lesser is hitching his way across the country the same way George Carlin did in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah, I was going to say, he knows knows the rules of the road. (laughs) But after finishing his initial task, he goes to talking to the truck driver about his childhood, and he's telling one version, but in the images of the panels, we see what actually happened. Uh, He he talks about how he was close to his mother and his father – uh, he's done with school, and he lost his taste for it. But in the images, we see that he was actually kind of brilliant. He came from a terrible home. His mother didn't care for him. His father beat him. He was bullied at school, but he worked hard, and he did well on his SATs, but they couldn't afford to send him to school. And finally, after biting one of the bullies quite viciously, he was sent to the principal's office, and uh, that's where he meets up with the other guy who w- they would eventually attack the locks. Uh, his name is Al something. Uh, but they're outside Mr. Locke's office because Mr. Locke was a guidance counselor at the children's school in California. And Sam Lesser talks about how much he actually likes Mr. Locke, how he's helped them through some things. And at that point, a younger, slightly Tyler Locke busts out of his father's office yelling at him and walks away. And we join Tyler now in Lovecraft. He says he's had enough, 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 enough. And he's looking at uh, the shed, which has all the different tools in there. There's clippers. There's an axe. And there's a double-barrel shotgun, which he's eyeing, and uh, it looks like he's looking for a way out. But he's stopped by his little brother, and he finally decides, you know, I can't leave him alone. The little weirdo needs someone to tell him the important stuff like knock-knock jokes. Because uh, Bodhi asked him about that same knock-knock joke his father told him in the dream, and uh, he can't quite remember the ending. We rejoin Sam Lesser at the truck stop. And uh, the truck driver says that, hey, if you keep doing what you were just doing for me a little while ago, you can make some money to buy a bus ticket all the way to Massachusetts. We then flash back again earlier in Sam's life as he's in Mr. Locke's office as the guidance counselor. And Mr. Locke says, look, I can't write you a letter of recommendation for college. You know, you have issues. You need to talk to a psychologist. But Sam is more interested in the painting on the wall, which is, is the same exact painting that is the cover of the issue. And at first, it's just the well house. It should be should be noted. But as he looks at it more, he sees the woman in the well come to the window and begin to write in what appears to be blood, help me. And as we zoom out, we see then there is in the same exact font, listen to echoes etched into the bottom of the painting. But apparently the painting was actually painted by Mr. Locke's younger brother, Duncan, who we've already met. So Sam... Oh, extremely creepy. And, and you, you wonder because we know that he, we know that the woman in the well can, can communicate through echoes and through water. But how much of what was going on in this painting was in his head or does uh, the woman in the well just simply have that power to control the painting? If you going back to the cover real quick, um, you can definitely tell, like Jim was saying, that the cover is that painting because it's even signed. The signature on the, the painting, just like it would be like on an art page or a typical comic cover, is a DL. Oh, yeah. And, and the year is 98. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Timeline-wise, they don't say for sure when this is set. But I do know that 
issue three of volume four, which just recently came out, is set in February 2012, which makes me wonder if the series is running towards an apocalyptic ending, because that would send the ending of the series to be right around the end of 2012. But yes, 1998, that sets an interesting timeline for when his brother would have painted the picture. So Sam exits the office and finds Tyler sitting on the steps of the school. And Tyler is not happy with his father at all. He says he's such an overbearing guy and it can never make up for every mistake and screw up is, is a moral lesson. Sam actually kind of seems normal at first until he says, yeah, I can imagine that. You, can Im- you can't imagine how many times I wake up thinking I ought to kill my dad today. And uh, Tyler jokingly sit- laughs and says, hey, if you ever decide to kill your dad, do me a favor and kill mine while you're at it. <sighs> Which, <laughs> if there was ever a sentence you would ever regret saying in your life, it's going to be that one. Yeah. This is uh it also I see William Games Academy. Isn't that guy from uh isn't he from Mad? Mad magazine, William Games? Yeah, he was the publisher yeah. not only of Mad Magazine but also the EC uh, horror comics. Oh uh, nice. like you know, uh, Tales from the Crypt and uh things like that, Vault of Fear. Also, I mean I I don't think we mentioned it uh, outright, but I mean Lovecraft, Massachusetts. Obviously, oh, yeah. uh shout out to HB Lovecraft. Who? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is it just me or do you see as far as actors go, um, DJ Qualls playing um, Sam. Playing Sam, <laughs> I, could, I could definitely see. That's so weird. That comes up because we were just looking him up last night in relation to another part. It's weird. Yeah, I can definitely see him doing that. And I don't think the part's been cast yet in the show. So send your letters to Fox. Yeah, he may be a little old for it now, but uh, but he still kind of has that young. Um, he still he still looks young and emaciated. Yeah. <laughs> so the flashback ends, and we see Sam. Wearing the truck driver's hat as he boards a bus. And uh, we then cut over to the bus or to, to the truck where we see that he has brutally murdered yeah. the truck driver with a tire iron and left him for dead. And he gets on the bus to Lovecraft, Massachusetts. Again, that was so awesome that Bodie had a bus and a truck in his hand that he was playing with. I, I didn't, again, another read through, you know, one more thing you pick up on um, that, that you really didn't pay much attention to when it was happening at the time, but but that's pretty cool. Oh, definitely. And and like I said before, with the, him seeing the key off in the corner, I do wonder how much of this is the house kind of influencing him and sending him messages. I mean, it's, it hasn't been made clear yet, like I said, but I would not be surprised if they eventually reveal that. Right. And you do get the line early on from the father saying that the house chose Duncan Yes, the, the youngest should be pointed out, just like yeah. Bodie is the youngest. Uh, so we then join Duncan, Kinsey, and Bodie in the, uh, I almost said the dungeon because they, they use the term medieval torture t- t- chamber, but in the basement of Key House in the wine room, which has a lot, a lot of bottles of wine. We rejoin Sam on the bus and he's eyeing up every single person on the bus. He thinks they're all out to get him and he pulls out a gun. It's, it looks to be the same gun he stole from the guard and... Uh, you see he's about to do something that uh, he probably won't regret, but a normal person would. We then flash back. It's even oh, go more ahead. horrific because uh, she's got a baby in her hands, you know? Yeah, one of the women. Yeah. The woman on the bus who thinks he's, she's eyeing him up. This is a total aside, but I keep trying to think of who the dad reminds me of. And, and it, it, it's been on the tip of my brain all day. Tom Strong. He, <laughs> uh, yeah, that or uh, Pops from uh, Speed Racer. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. He kind of, look, he kind of looks like Tom Strong with a mustache to me, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jordan, one thing we should just back up a little bit to when all the kids are down in the wine cellar. Bodie's still looking for the answer to the knock-knock joke, and 
Tyler had told him, it, you know, because the knock-knock joke is who's there, who, who, who. And, and, and Tyler had said, what are you, an owl? And so he's telling the joke now to Uncle Duncan, who says, no, that's the other joke. And it turns out the answer to the who, who is an echo. Right, so, yeah, good catch. I missed that. So we're, we're getting, um, and I, what did it say, scribbled on the painting the last time that uh, Sam looks at it? Follow oh, the echo echoes. or listen to echoes. Yeah. So there's definitely like an underlying thing going on with the knock knock joke here and, um, and the dreams and everything. Yeah. His father's his father's trying to tell him about the echo, but I wish his father had done a better job at warning him to stay away from the echo. That might have been great. So uh, we then flash back again to Sam the day of the murder as he's holding the gun on Mr. Locke and he wants the keys. He says, the keys, give me the keys now. And this stops. Mr. Locke apparently doesn't know anything. And he says, I don't know what keys you're talking about. Sam says, the key to anywhere, which we've already heard mentioned, and I believe then the first mention of the key to the black door. You took them. Dodge wants them back. Okay. Now, knowing that I haven't read anything beyond this first six issues and and not really to spoil anything, but I'm very conflicted whether I think the dad knows what he's talking about. Or he doesn't know what he's talking about because they, they've kind of set up for the fact that when you get old, you forget. The house makes you forget. And when you're young, you remember. But then he talks to the wife and kind of hints at it. And, and there's some other you know, clues around that, that there's something else going on. So either, either through what you know or what you infer, do you think the dad knows what he's talking about or he doesn't know what he's talking about? I, I think he does not remember, but every once in a while something comes to memory that even he – either he doesn't know why it's there or just like his brother was talking about um, – was it his brother or him? Oh, where he was like, I remember playing games where we would turn into ghosts, but he remembers them as games. He doesn't remember that he actually used the door presumably at some time. Right, right. I think it's probably just like that because as Sam says, Dodge says you might not remember. Grownups don't believe. Is, Dar- is Dodge just, the uh, name? I'm sorry, uh, dude. Is Dodge, the name, is Dodge the name of the Echo? It, it's a little confusing because that, that guy, as he says later, he goes by many names. But um, Dodge, Zach, or Lucas Caravaggio all refer to the woman in the well. Okay. I don't know yeah, why he goes by so many names. <laughs> when um, uh, the father is talking to the mother about the, the key house and everything, they, they, he's pretty drunk, isn't he? I mean, yes. so that yes. Be yes. something that made him start talking about the stuff that he wouldn't normally remember. It's yeah, interesting, I- too, because one of Stephen King's, I guess, most popular villains, um, the Man in Black, is is similar kind of thing. goes by many names. He's been crossed over into several of, of his father's books. So I wonder if that's just something that um, you know, kind of stuck with him. Not not saying he you know, ripped it from him, but you know, people, people take stuff from you know, what they're exposed to and and, and pull ideas from different places, but I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Right, and, and it should be should be noted, if I remember correctly, the guy's name, as far as we know, is actually Lucas Caravaggio, but he always went by Dodge, even as a kid. And then the name he takes eventually in the series is Zach as an alias. So, so far, it's not like he's just taking names at random that we can tell, but it does right, get but confusing. He, so. But even appearance and, and things like that, too. So Oh, definitely. So he still wants the keys, and he, after mentioning, like you talked about before, how grown-ups don't believe, he says that's how Key House protects itself. So it makes you forget when you're too old to use the doors, but you need to remember in a hurry. Start with the key to the black door, cough it up. And I'll note now, just because this is the thing I caught on to this time, which made me laugh, is how did I miss this every time before? But Mr. Lack goes, <laughs> cough it up. That's almost funny, but I don't know why. 
And uh, he basically gives Sam an ultimatum. Either you let me go or you're going to have to shoot me. And uh, what happens next is up to you. And then we flash back to the bus where it's clear that Sam has murdered every single person on the bus and is uh, taking the bus to drive as his own. That's a crazy panel. Bus cap, too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he took the truck driver's hat earlier. That's pretty funny. And look at that symbol on the truck driver's hat. The the upside down circle reminds me of the Omega sign, which is important. It reminds me of the uh, what I was calling an earwig tail on the wolf on his tattoo. It could just be a symbol that's part of Massachusetts transit for all I know. But it does remind me of those those two images for sure. Yeah, it strikes me as something to look out for in the future. Definitely. So issue number five starts out with a guy who looks kind of like the Gorton's fisherman on a boat in Massachusetts. And in the background, you can see the bus from before. And then you can see that the bus, there's a bright light coming from the bus. And then you can see that the bus is fully engulfed in flames. And uh, as we turn around and see behind the fisherman, we see Sam there. And Sam pulls a gun on him and says, take me to Lovecraft. Yeah, the classic guy trying to light something and all of a sudden a huge fire goes off in the background, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, he's trying to he's trying to light yeah. a cigarette. <laughs> I didn't yeah. catch that part. <laughs> nice humor. Mother Mary on the rag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great expression. Uh, so we then join Bodie, who is sitting between the bars of the window of the well house, and he's got a jar with at least one, I think just one, lightning bug in it, although it's the biggest lightning bug I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he's talking to the to the woman in the well, and uh, he talks about the knock-knock joke. He tells her the knock-knock joke, and uh, she doesn't think it's very funny. And, and an interesting line here, he says, yeah, knock-knock jokes are stupid, which I agree with. He says, I didn't think – I don't think I'm coming to see you anymore. It was cool being the only one who knew about you, like an E.T., like having my own alien. You, you probably don't know about E.T., which timeline-wise, I don't think – Lucas would or that uh, the woman in the well would know <laughs> who ET is, but yeah. uh, I thought I think it's cool. I thought it was cool too because he's like playing with the flashlight. You know, again, something a kid would do. You know, click, on, clack, click, and it, clack. It, and when he when the flashlight is on, the the lightning bug is dark, and when the flashlight is off, the lightning bug is lit. And then he turns it back on, and the lightning bug's dark again. <laughs> oh, check so, that out. So that was pretty cool. That's very interesting. He hears Kinsey calling him uh, from the distance. And uh, he says he's down by the key house. And she says, Mom says 10 more minutes outside in the bed. And as we see behind Bodie, the woman in the well is not trapped down in the bottom of the well like he thought. And like she said, she's crawled up and she is uh, right behind him looking very menacing. There's uh, we- your ring moment right there. <laughs> yes, 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 definitely. Dun, dun, dun. Um, the lost boom. So then we rejoin Sam on the boat and uh, he murders the fishermen after they get close enough. Finally, the lighter works. Yeah, yeah. So Tyler is now also using a lighter to not quite burn his hand, I guess a little bit burn his hand, but as he watches the news, and it's nothing but good news, or nothing but bad news, I should say. Yeah. There you uh, go. There we go. <laughs> uh, we see, we t- hear talks of murders and rapes. We see the bus on fire in an image on the, in the news, the war on terror, swastikas on synagogues, and nothing but t- bad news. His mother asks him if he learned anything new on the news, and he says, nothing I didn't already know. We then join Kinsey as she talks to the policeman who's outside their gate. Uh, Detective Matuku had left them uh, police guards after after Sam escaped, but uh, he's kind of – you don't see him as a bumbling policeman necessarily, but he's just kind of the only guy there. He's not going to be very effectual. Uh, But they talk about the food that he's been given by the family. Kinsey has caught another lightning bug, another gigantic lightning bug for Bodhi. 
And uh, we then get a great splash page. Page number, I believe that's 10. Yeah, page number 10 oh, of yeah. this issue with the woman in the well. Her hand is over Bodhi's mouth and her other hand is telling him, shh. The coloring okay. is outstanding. I'd love to hang that on my wall. Yeah, just the use <laughs> of the green like that. Um, and then just the way everything's kind of had that dark shade. And it stands out so much because like we talked about, it's a very brightly colored book. And to have this panel, obviously, it's at night. Um, you know, but just it, it's, it, to me, it's like perfectly shaded, um, perfect choice of color. It's yeah, it's just very, very, very well done. And look at her eyes. I don't know if I've noted them in this. They look like in cat this eyes. Episode. Yeah, but they're, yeah, they're like cat eyes. So she says, uh, don't scream, because if you scream, I'm going to throw you down the well. She just wants the keys. She wants him to go and get the anywhere key so she can get out of the well house. Because at this point, while she can climb out of the well, even though she lied to him about that, she cannot get out of the well house. So she says – he says he doesn't know where it is, but she says you're a smart boy. You can figure out how to find it. And uh, she – I believe she warns him. Let me double check here. Yeah, she, she warns him that Sam is there and that uh, he, things are going to get very bad if, Sam, or if uh, Bodhi can't bring her the key. And this is the part where she says, my names are Legion, Bodhi, but I'll tell you what. In a place called Once Upon a Time, your daddy would have done anything to make me happy. And before tonight is over, you're going to feel the same way. And it's interesting, both of the final panels on this page and the previous page, again, kind of accentuate what you were saying, Jordan, about the cat eyes. Yeah, yeah, they're just, a lot, of, a lot is brought to them. She winks, which is creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you, you definitely note them. Uh, so then we join Kinsey. She's looking for Bodie out in the woods, and she sees a flashlight, so she assumes it's him, as you pointed out before he has a flashlight. But it is not Bodie. It is Sam. He beats her uh, bloody with, and I'm essentially unconscious with the flashlight. And again, we notice her bracelet on her wrist. So Sam comes back to Key House, uh, dragging her body with him. She's not dead, she's unconscious. But uh, he hears Mrs. Locke and Duncan in the basement trying to get a door open. He locks them down there. Uh, They immediately notice that the door is locked and they start calling for Tyler. But uh, Tyler is interrupted before he can get there by Sam with the gun. And uh, he immediately starts taking out some of his anger at Tyler for stopping the original attack uh, by kicking Tyler through the guardrail on the stairs and right down to the floor and then beating him with a piece of wood. And then issue five ends with uh, the woman in the well sending Bodhi out to get the keys. And as he leaves, he knocks down the jar with the firefly in it and the firefly is free and is told by the woman in the well to fly away. And you got to love the uh, next month in issue six. I don't know if you guys probably don't all have it if you're reading the hardcover or whatever, but it's got that different key in the teaser image. And you're like, oh, oh, it's on. You know, there's (laughs) (laughs) here come all the other keys. Yeah. And uh, it should be noted. I think it was right there towards the end. But the woman in the well tells Bodhi what the key looks like, how it's got all these rings connected to other rings. And that is clearly the key that is shown in that final image of the next week's uh, cover. And as we flip to next week's cover, it is actually that key in the center with the bracelet in the background, as well as the firefly and blood with reflected in the blood, the woman in the well. So there's a whole lot going on in the cover. Uh, We start with uh, Sam holding the gun to Tyler's head. Kins is still unconscious. His mother and Duncan are still locked in on the other side of the door. And he says he wants the keys. He says, your husband lied to me. He wouldn't tell me where the keys were. I had to kill him. Don't make me kill your, your kids, too. Tell me where the keys are. 
And it should be noted that earlier on in the story, I forgot to point out, but she had mentioned that there's a gun in the house. It's in her desk drawer in her room. It's unloaded, but it's there uh, in case the kids need to go. So Tyler knows it's there and she tells Tyler uh, the keys. She tells Tyler and Sam rather that the keys are in that desk drawer and that Tyler knows where to find them and that Sam should take Tyler up there so he can get the keys. We then flash to Bodhi, and Bodhi is using the ghost door to become a ghost again because he knows if you think about something, you'll be taken there. So he thinks about the Anywhere key. And I love the image of his ghost flying out of the door. Um, it's almost like a superhero. You know, he's... Yeah. It reminds me of, like, a power pack. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it kind of does. And uh, this is not the last time in the series we'll use the ghost door, but I think it's my favorite image of a ghost from the first volume. But he thinks about the key, and he's brought to Kinsey. And he's like, I don't want to go here. So he thinks about the key again, and he's brought back to Kinsey even closer. And this time, he's like eye level with the bracelet. And he notices that the pattern we formerly noticed as a key is actually a key kind of embedded in the bracelet. And it's the key from the cover. It's the Anywhere key. So he flies back to his body. He uh, runs up through the house and kind of hides from Sam and Tyler as they walk through up to, the, up to his mother's bedroom. He goes down to Kinsey's still unconscious body and takes the bracelet, and then he runs back to, uh, to get to the well house. But we then join Sam and Tyler again, and, and Sam is searching through a different dresser's upper drawer for the keys. But there's a mirror in front of him, and he notices Tyler trying to reach into the drawer where the gun is hidden. So he stops him, he finds the gun, and he points out, hey, the gun I've had on your head the whole time, it was unloaded. So thank you for bringing me to this gun, which also has a clip located nearby, and he loads it. But while he's looking away, Tyler runs and uh, runs back towards his family. So Sam follows him and clocks him over the head with the gun, but he does this right as Tyler is exiting through the ghost door. So Tyler falls down dead, or he he falls down still alive, but just inches from the door. Sam puts his hands around his neck and goes to strangle him, and at that moment, Tyler falls down dead because he's fully exited through the ghost door, and Sam thinks he's killed him. That's a great use of the ghost door, too. I really like that. Oh, definitely. I I think my favorite is is actually at the end of this issue, but it's a cool kind of... um, it's a cool foreshadowing of that, like being thrown through the door against your will. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now Tyler's a ghost, and he he kind of has a memory of what Bodhi told him, but he's still surprised. And we, we rejoin Bodhi. Bodhi has brought the bracelet to uh, the woman in the well. She says, a bracelet? Let me have it. Well, look at that. I think I knew this once. That Anywhere key was hidden in a bracelet. Your father, though, Bodhi, I told you he took pains to make the Anywhere key hard to find, but I didn't tell you how. Your father used a key on me. Unlocked my thoughts and took my memories, all to keep his secrets, all because he was afraid. That's how the trouble began when he started hiding things from me. And uh, that doesn't come into play here, but that particular key will be very important in the next volume, which is called Head Games. And what's your interpretation of the next page, guys, where the key kind of pops out? Is, Is the woman in the well squeezing it in a certain way, or is it kind of being done psychically? But the key kind of pops out and, and takes a, a flat shape versus its curved shape from before out of the bracelet. Well, even before that, the the lines of dialogue here kind of encapsulate where how I felt about this after I read it, you know. She's like, no, you can't understand because you're reading the last chapter or something without having read the first chapter. Yes. You know, I just, I feel like there's a lot of story here that we're not getting, not understanding, not seeing yet. Well, definitely. It reminds me of, especially this in the next volume in particular, but also the third one. Um, if you guys remember, I don't remember who watched Heroes, but if you remember back to like the first season mm-hmm. of Heroes, there was that sense of... We're going through this adventure, but in some way, our parents have all gone through it before. And there was yeah. that sense of, you know, everything, you know, to, to quote Battlestar, everything has happened before and it'll happen again. There's that same kind of feeling here where 
there's, you know, as, as you said, Jim, like the woman in the well says, you're reading the last chapter first. There's a lot of important stuff you don't know about yet, and we'll find that out as the series goes on. But yeah, I, th- I think it's a physical – I took it to be like a physical mechanism. Like she squeezed it just right or twisted it or something, and it just, you know. And between those two panels, it does look like it's kind of squeezed. I guess. Yeah, now that I look at it more. But she puts the key in the – there's kind of a closet inside the well house. She puts it inside that door and opens a door to what appears to be Kinsey's room. Yeah, they show that poster. It's a Bob Bob Marley Marley poster. Yeah, yeah. So that's Kinsey's room. So uh, the woman in the well exits through the door, closes it, and when Bodie opens it, it's just the closet again. But the woman in the well has this pouch around her neck, and we see her in uh, Kinsey's bedroom. And it's a key that has a woman's head and a boy's head uh, kind of as – mere images of each other and the symbols for male and female. And she finds this door in the back of the closet, kind of a, it's a short door, like two feet tall, maybe two and a half feet tall. She opens that door and crawls through and she exits out in Tyler's room, male. She kind of Go foreshadowed ahead. back. Cause didn't the, when she was the woman in the well, she say there's a door that can turn like your sister would go through and be a man and your brother would go through and be a woman. And yes. there's, there's one that you could, you come out, you'll be old. Um, yeah, she. So, so I thought that was interesting. I didn't. Again, I, I didn't quite pick up on that right at first. But yeah, a couple of keys are foreshadowed. I, I don't think we've seen yeah. the young and old one yet. I think that's um, if it's going to show up in the series, it hasn't yet. But mm. we've definitely seen this one now, and uh, it's interesting because earlier when they first get to the house, Kinsey says, "Hey, do you want to choose what who gets what room?" And Tyler says, "No, I, I don't really care." But apparently, she chose the female room, and he chose the male room. Because when, when uh, the woman in the well, who let's just call uh, Dodge at this point, when Dodge exit, enters the room, he enters in the female room and exits in the male room as a male. Right. I don't really understand, honestly, <laughs> what the whole thing is with the – like why wasn't – why didn't the character stay as like the woman in the well? Um, I don't understand why they well, – Robin, have you read past this volume? I have, I have. It's it's okay. actually it's been a while. So, <laughs> as best I can tell, and granted, there's a certain uh, there's a certain amount of unreliable narrator throughout the series. But if the series is to be believed up to this point, you know, as I talked about, their parents had an adventure before, and Lucas Carvaggio was one of their parents' friends at school. So he is male, but apparently he was trapped in the female form in the well. So if, as far as I understand it, the male form is his actual form. Hmm. Okay. As far as I can know, he's just sick and tired of being trapped in a, in a woman's body. <laughs> yeah. I love the 30 Days a Night poster. Little shout-out, IDW shout-out there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Tyler is a ghost, and he's kind of coming to terms with the fact that he's a ghost, and he thinks he's been actually murdered. But uh, he, he visits – he thinks about his mom, and he sees his mom and Duncan trapped in there. He thinks about Kinsey. He sees Kinsey uh, and her body out there. But he, he then comes back to his body, which has been dragged right outside that door. So it's no longer by the ghost door. It's been dragged back by the basement. And uh, he thinks back to when Bodhi was telling him, hey, come join me as a ghost. You just go back through the door and you come back and you're alive. And he runs back to the ghost door, or I should say flies, and comes back out in his own body again. But at this point, Sam is no longer paying attention to him. He's trying to wake up Kinsey to get uh, to use her as a hostage. And uh, Sam is able to take him by surprise. And uh, they have a brief fight, but Kinsey grabs the gun Sam has and shoots him twice and he runs away. Uh, At this point, Dodge, who is now uh, male, although he still has long hair, and uh, he's still got the pouch with the keys in it. He comes upon the now bloody and I'll say dying but not quite dead Sam and uh, breaks his neck and drags him over to the ghost door, throwing him forcefully out and shutting the door behind him. He then opens it with the Anywhere key and exits right before Detective Matuku can bust in guns at the ready. 
Ellie Whedon, the uh, the gym teacher from their school, she's woken up by the doorbell. And uh, so she walks to the front of the door or she walks to the front of the house, opens the door. She thinks it's some kids playing a prank on her, but she opens it and standing in front of her is Dodge. And he says, hello, Ellie, you look great. Mind if I come in? I mean, I did kill your mother for you. It's the least you could do. And uh, that's the last we'll hear about this volume. Uh, we come back to Key House, and uh, they use another key to open the ghost door. They don't use the ghost key, and when you don't use the right key in the right door, there's no effect. So they find uh, they find the body. Or the, I guess they found the body earlier, but uh, at this point, Sam is trapped as a ghost. He can't come back through the door because it hasn't been opened with the right key. We then jump forward to Lovecraft two weeks later, and uh, Kinsey and Bodie are sitting by the stream again, and he's using his treasure finder. And as you pointed out before, she kind of reverted back to her old hair a little bit with the braid. Now she has a green streak in the front of her hair. They're talking about Sam Lesser and about the keys and about how Kinsey still thinks it's make-believe, all the ghost door and stuff. But uh, Tyler walks up, he says, anything biting. But a shadowy figure walks up behind him. Tyler says, hey, this is Zach. He's new at the Academy, just like us. And we're introduced to a guy who looks very familiar. In fact, he looks just like Lucas Caravaggio or Dodge, who is going to be a villain posing as a friend for at least up till current in the series. I really liked that he decided to go with the lip ring and the earring because it's almost like, how can I get Kinsey on my side? You know, like he's using her likes and her personality against her, I guess, to get to get in with the family, you know? Definitely. You can see there's something in Bodhi's eyes where he looks at Zack and knows something is wrong, but not enough to take him away from his treasure finding. And he goes back and as as the as Kinsey is being introduced to Zack, Bodhi pulls one last piece of treasure out of the river, out of the stream, and it's a key with a head on it. This is the head key, which we'll focus on very heavily in the next volume, Head Games. But our final panel of the issue and of volume one is a spiral of keys. And we have the head key, we have the gender key, we have the anywhere key, the key to the ghost door, and many others. Some we have visited in the series at this point and some we have not yet. But presumably all of them, since they've been designed, will play at least some role. And in the center is the Omega key, the key to the black door. And that ends Volume 1 of Lock and Key, Welcome to Lovecraft. Such a cool first chapter, you know, and yes. that it left so much, it left you wanting so much. And I, I would like to hear from Russ at this point, because we've all kind of read it and reread it for tonight, but this was his first time, so. I, I was very, very impressed. I, it's, it's funny, there's been a lot of books lately where people have kind of said, oh, you got to read it, got to read it, got to read it. And I've been like, yeah, whatever. And I, I've not been disappointed yet. I mean... John, you, you, you got me to read Scalped, and I, I kind of pushed it away for a long time. And you know, every time a trade comes out, I'm all over it. Um, Chew is the same way. Um, you know, some of the other Vertigo stuff. But again, this, this one really surprised me because it's not at all what I thought it was. For some reason in my mind, I kind of had it as this dark, kind of noirish, stylized book. And, and again, like I, like I mentioned earlier, when you know, first opened it up and it's very colorful um, and the art is very um, – I hate to say cartoonish because that almost seems like you're, you're dissing it, which, which is not. It, the art is very, very, very well done. The coloring is, is exceptional. And, and again, I, I wish this is something I would have uh, turned myself onto a lot earlier. And I'm, I'm definitely in for the long haul. When you're uh, like doing like what he's doing here, obviously, he's like setting a foundation for a mythology that he wants to build on as the story goes on. It's super important, and a lot of writers miss this, is that without characters to identify with to take along on that trip, all the mythology and all the backstory in the world is not going to matter. 
And that's how I think impressed me most here is like by the t- by the time this arc is over, you have a really good idea of who Bodie is, who Kinsey is, who Tyler is, Duncan, and what all the roles that they play, and you you understand them as characters. And then um, all the other you know all the backstory and everything else that gets filled in as as we go along. I mean, if you don't have that foundation of of, of good characterization to begin with, I mean, all all that is wasted. And uh, I've only read these first six issues, and I, I can definitely see where he's setting threads for himself. Where he's setting storylines into motion that he can pull on later, and, and you know, pull into the main story later. Yeah, and as you pointed out, the, the the sense of character and the sense of voice for at least the three children in particular, but also their mother and their uncle, and um, and even the villains of Sam and of Dodge. You don't know too much about Dodge or Zach or Lucas Carvaggio, whichever name you want to go by. You don't know too much about him yet. But uh, you can already tell that they're laying down that foundation uh, for these really, really good three-dimensional characters. Yeah, yeah. They do some the, – the, the, the kids do some um, crazy, risky things involving the keys and stuff. And uh, it, it's good to have this base to, to realize, you know, where – why they would do this. You know, it's not just some sort of like, okay, this is an annoying twist or whatever. It's actually – there's a reason for it. Exactly. I love uh, also the, the the theme of death and how it affects you know all these kids and everybody in the story. Uh, this horrible horrible death in the beginning is, is is just shown throughout. I mean, there was one uh, panel that we kind of uh, skipped over, but I I thought was really effective was the <clears throat> one where Tyler is uh, he's keeping himself busy with yard work and he's rebuilding this walkway and it looks like he's covering over the dead body <laughs> or, or or Sam's Sam's mangled body. You yeah, know, yeah, he's doing like he's the brickwork. I think he's doing yeah. the uh, right. Yep, so stuff like that. It's great, great stuff. And Jordan, yep. what's the? Um, I know this has a finite ending. Uh, yes. How many more? How many more books? Could you fill us in on that? Sure. The plan, and as far as I understand, things are going still according to plan, is for six six issue volumes. So that'll be thirty six issues by the end. At this point. Um, Three six-issue volumes are completed, and the fourth, they're exactly halfway through. Uh, so that is uh, 6, 12, 18, uh, 21 issues out so far of the 36. And and they're all great. I mean, you're talking about death there, Rob. And um, the, I, th- I believe it's volume three, issue six, is kind of a one-off. Like, they, they kind of finish their arc in volume three, and then they have a one-off issue. And the whole arc was so good that I was like, well, this is going to be strange to having a one-off. But it's a one-off that focuses on the mother. And I won't spoil the the actual content but just to say that it deals with her grief and with her just wanting to be able to fix things and it's one of the most heartbreaking issues of any comic i've ever read it's really really touching this this comic has also been optioned by fox as a television show and uh i don't think they've quite started shooting yet but i know they're they're scouting in pittsburgh they've got a couple of the uh parts cast and i i I absolutely cannot wait to see if they can do the story justice in Film. We talked about how some of the panels show the passage of time, they show camera angles, and they set up a very visual version of the story. But some of the content in here is uh, not exactly Fox basic, uh, not basic cable, but Fox uh, broadcast television approved. It'll be interesting to see how that's translated. I, my, my fingers are crossed, and I'm cautiously optimistic, but uh, only time will tell when it comes to that. Yeah, that could be tricky for Fox. It's not like AMC doing The Walking Dead. No, no, definitely yeah. not. I mean, they could a lot of it. They could just do as part of you know subtle, where you get the the message. Um, but broadcast TV has kind of pushed the envelope more on the on the violence and gore side in in recent years. So it ought to be interesting. And if it's a nine um, o'clock hour show, you know they can get away yeah. with a little more. So, and I'm just hoping Fox proper doesn't pick it up because 
you know, it may be six issues, you know, six episodes and out. So uh, I could easily see the something, even if Fox produces it, um, fitting on ABC maybe. Um, obviously, it kind of has that lost vibe to it, you know, where you get a lot of backstory and forward story. Um, and, you know, they're, they seem to be a little more willing to give things a chance before they just kill it. So Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I know it's owned by Fox, so they have the rights. It doesn't say for sure which network it will be on that I've read, yeah. um, but presumably Fox or FX. It should be noticed that the writers of the show, the main writers, are going to be Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi, who did Star Trek. Right. They had some involvement in Transformers. Lost. Um, Fringe. Lost. Uh, did they do any Lost? I thought they did. I know Maybe they do Fringe for sure. But um, So definitely th- there's a pedigree there that, that I, can, uh, I can get behind. Josh uh, Friedman from uh, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah, which mm, I, yeah. I didn't really watch, but I know a lot of people were a huge fan Excellent. of that show. Maybe, you know, one of the things that, that's interesting, since Fox doesn't own it and they do have FX, given the kind of surge with The Walking Dead, maybe they feel like they could get some juice out of it by um, being a little edgier and maybe uh, moving it over to FX and kind of promoting it the way they did um, Walking Dead. So who knows? That would certainly be interesting. I mean, they certainly have just as violent content on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, yeah, sure. Order. Sure. Um, it, the oh, two- the Shield. Only two parts in the show have been cast so far that I know of. Uh, Miranda Otto is going to be playing Nina Locke. And uh, some of the things she's been in recently, she was in Flight of the Concord, uh, not Flight of the Concords, uh, Flight of the Phoenix, War of the Worlds, uh, The Starter Wife. Uh, those are some of her more recent ones. And then Sarah Bolger. Wait a minute, from- wait a minute. What about Mar- her? I think best known from uh, the, the Lord of the- Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, yes. She played Eowyn. I'm sorry. Yes, Eowyn, yeah. I didn't look that high up on the list. Um, and then Sarah Bolger, who is in The Tudors, will be playing Kinsey. Now, I haven't watched The Tudors. I- I- it's kind of on my list of shows to get to. But she, to me, she looks a little old for Kinsey. Has anyone watched The Tudors or know the, the actress to-, to comment on that? Um, no, I have. I haven't. She I is nineteen, yeah. so age-wise, I mean, she does seem odd, but or seem old rather. I I did watch one like talk show she was on on, on a British talk show, and I kind of felt like she would work. But I, I'll be interested to see like do they age all the kids a little bit, um, or how are, how are they going to handle that? I well, I mean, all those kids could even. Let's see, all those kids on Glee are in their thirties for Christ's sake. I mean, I really see a big problem there. Yeah. Well, I think most of them are 25 or younger, but I, I understand what you're saying, though. Look but, at, yeah, Tom, Tom Welling, who was, you know, <laughs> freshman in high school at, at 28. But, I'm pretty sure he's on Social Security. Um, yeah. But, you know, they could be doing a little flip-flop, too. I mean, it could be that Kinsey maybe is older and Tyler slightly younger. I mean, they could easily flip-flop those, you know, two years of, you know, and it's, it, it, you know, it wouldn't really change a whole lot, I don't, I don't think. Uh, yeah, that, that would be interesting. I think they could do that with what we know so far in the series. I don't think that would mess up anything major. Um, yeah, it could be. But those are the only two actors we know so far. Um, I Presumably it's going to be premiering in the fall, but uh, I can't say for sure. Yeah, it's just sort of like they're, they're deciding whether or not to do it in the uh, late 2011 run with the, starting in May. Yeah, so... Uh, so hopefully that <laughs> hopefully that'll go very well. Uh, we can we can only hope. We, we certainly enjoy the series, and we'll hope to do the the other volumes in the future here. Hopefully uh, they'll th- film it here in Pittsburgh. That would be great. Yeah, that's that's the idea, and uh, that'd be cool to have uh, a reporter on the spot there with you, Jim. <laughs> show up with uh, with one of those reporter hats and a old fashioned microphone. Forget that. I'll show up with a plate of food. 
Hey, there you go. That's right. Maybe, go. yeah, maybe you could cater. That'd be awesome. Well, they already have Key House p- picked out. If uh, you're, I, I'm not a Pittsburgh native, but if you are, it's Hartwood Acres. So. Oh, that totally makes sense. It's a really big old house in the middle of nowhere. So they actually have uh, concerts out there. Oh, cool. You just set a lawn chair up there. and. <laughs> Um, I don't really have anything else. Just, you know, don't be afraid to check it out. I you put it on the back burner for a while, and I'm sorely disappointed in myself for not checking it out earlier. It's 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 just something, you know, one of those that it's not superhero funny books. It's, you know, definitely something more on the indie side, um, but still has, you know, a comic book look and feel to it. But just, you, you know, good characterization, you know, great art, um, you know, great you know, hook. You know, that's one of the things we talk about, you know, nowadays is, you know, comics hooking you in. And after reading the first issue, I don't think this comic had any trouble, you know, hooking you. Well, so that's it for volume one. Uh, thank you, Robin, for joining us. It was really fun having you on. Uh, would you like to remind everybody about Media Junkyard and some of the other many, many shows that you are on? <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of notorious for guesting on podcasts, but uh, um, just because I love it so much. Um, you learn all sorts of different things uh, by visiting different people that are experts in different things. And uh, I, I definitely appreciated this conversation about lock and key. It makes me appreciate the uh, first volume even more. And uh, I, I even, uh, Jordan, you shared with me, uh, you guys uh, casts on red sun and the death in the family. And I listened to those right up uh, over the weekend. I, I really enjoyed those too. You guys are really spot on. I, I, I dig it. Uh, um, also, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, Media Junkyard is at MediaJunkyard.com. And I also uh, co-host a Smallville podcast, uh, Starkville, South of L, and that's at SmallvillePodcast.com. Right on. So, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, and we'll have to have you on again sometime soon yeah. in the future. Love it. Thanks once again, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Legion of Dudes. As always, you can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. You can leave us comments at comments at legionofdudes.com. Check out our sister podcast, Half Hour Wasted, every Monday on this same feed. Um, Be on the lookout for the Walking Dead TV podcast as well. Um, We're kind of in the end of season um, area, but we've got some cool stuff planned. Hopefully some some more interviews. Um, lots of good stuff to talk about. Um, Jordan and I keep threatening the other guys to um, to go all AMC on them and uh, do an AMC focus show on some other stuff. So never know. I would we might. so be down for that. Yeah. AMC is fantastic. Breaking Bad. <laughs> we may uh, we may uh, we may hijack the feed one week and uh, and just put that show out um, for our, for our listeners. Uh, Rush, you just got caught up on Breaking Bad today as as a series, right? Yes. So uh, <laughs> he can now. He can now testify to not not only how good Mad Men is, but how good uh, Breaking Bad is as well. As I was telling him on the, over the email, AMC is pretty much the only network that based on their pedigree, I don't care what show it is, if they premiere it, I will give it a chance. And based on the fact that it's AMC, I'll probably give it double the amount of episodes to wow me as I would any other show on any other network. I, I trust them that much. The, yeah. the, prison, the, prison, the new Prisoner remake called and says hi. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that though. I mean, it was weird, certainly. I did but, not um, at all. In but so many uh, ways. but that's like one slight misstep among Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead and Mad Men. <laughs> you know, there's so much good there. I, I can deal with a couple missteps. Yeah, check out our uh, Facebook groups for Legion of Dudes, Half Hour Wasted, Walking Dead, and Speak of the Devil. Check out our Twitter at LOD Tweet. And again, like I mentioned, keep an eye out on the website for some really cool things and some uh, other announcements from Half Hour Wasted and Legion of Dudes uh, coming up soon. So for 
John, Jordan, Jim, and our special guest. Once again, thank you, Robin. We will see you next week. But there's no sun shining through Like hot scarring darker steel But there's no sun shining